Scotty, 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 you know what? You're welcome. Well, that's very kind of you, John. Thank you. <laughs> I, I take your welcome and do something appropriate with it. <laughs> that's a terrible thing to say. Here I am being all gracious, just not even like, you know, giving any buildup, just starting running in right in there, guns blazing, saying you're welcome. And you haven't even had the decency to say, well, what am I welcome for? Oh, sorry. Was I supposed to understand there was a cue there? Was I OK? Sorry. Let's start again. Scotty, 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 you're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, what the hell am I welcome for, John? Well, Scotty, today is the day before Thanksgiving in the United States. <laughs> so you're welcome. That, that, that All the, the craziest misfits up and left your your fine country however many years ago and started lots of mythology. Yep. We sent the balmy people out and they just got balmier. <laughs> <laughs> well. There we are. No. How to offend a whole nation on its national holiday. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's the day before. We can't even get the dates right, but I figured that, you know, tomorrow I'll be stuffing not turkey, but hopefully some delicious duck uh, down my gullet. Um, no, but, uh, you know, I bothered you last night <laughs> when it was way past my bedtime because I was up uh, configuring something for which I'm quite thankful. Would you like me to gloat a little bit about it? John, be thankful right now. All right. I am thankful to have a machine that finally has enough damn RAM. Uh <laughs> It's, if I, you know, I, I did get a, a new machine, um, and I, I, you know, careful listener of the show will know that I suffered mightily with a mere 16 gigabytes of RAM. Now, of course, me from prior, you know, whatever, a couple of years ago, it's like 16 gig of RAM. That's, that's an impossible, you know, quantity to imagine, but it just ain't fucking enough if you've got to do what I've been doing, which is, you know, not only running Xcode, but having to run Slack. There's another 17 gigs right there, uh, but also, uh, uh, other software like a, a TV simulator and things of that nature. Um, uh, once you start doing that, if you start swapping, even if you are swapping with, you know, uh, an SSD, it's still deadly slow. It just brings your machine to a crashing halt. Now, those of you who were born before, I don't know, 100 years ago will not know, maybe, maybe not know what swap is. But, you know, since uh, computers require RAM and RAM was always very expensive, uh, you would have very little RAM, and that would be that precious, you know, memory where things could run quickly. But if you ran out of it, rather than having the whole, you know, process and the whole machine to come to a crashing halt, uh, it would basically use some of your hard disk space to be able to swap memory in and out. And that was glacially slow. Um, but all things uh, considered, there's a huge difference between RAM. And, and storage, even if the storage is solid-state memory. But anyway, that's a, a useless explanation for, for a young person, uh, and there are no young people listening to us. I've just succeeded in mansplaining RAM or Greybeard explaining RAM and, and swap space and probably making a mistake. But that was my long-winded way of saying it's like it's nice to have you know so much RAM that I never have to swap. And uh, that probably as much as anything made for a much faster machine. But that's why I was up all hours of the night configuring my new laptop. Um, and I also had one other achievement, which I would love to tell you about. If you well, would like let, to. Before, before we move on from the laptop, yeah, let's give, give, give us the full spec. What did you go for? Um, <laughs> I got a pretty fancy machine. Uh, I thought I'd only ordered 64, but in fact, it's 96 gig of RAM and it's the, the M3 Pro Max. So it's it's pretty top of the line machine. Um, 
Yeah, so, that's yeah. that's that, that's pretty that's pretty um, maxed out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you it, you I, I didn't get you know twelve gazillion cores. It basically it was what I wanted more thing else was was more RAM and the Max definitely you know it's faster. You know, there's it's more parallelization built from build from clean is is you know reasonably fast, and I've been doing a lot of that recently. Um, so I cannot, you know, whatever, uh, I've, it's, it's probably the most luxurious machine I've ever had. Maybe the most luxurious machine I will ever have in my life, but for right now I'm, I'm enjoying it. So you went from um, the, even you the, had the M1 Pro with 16 gig, didn't you? You had the first generation yeah. MacBook Pro. Um, yeah, cause I've, I've got the same generation, but I had the 32 gig. As I said, my machine has been absolutely fine still fine still no need to replace it so but so we got them at the same time so yours is now two years two years is it two and a bit years mm-hmm. maybe yeah so yeah i i can see with that 16 you'd have been struggling um you know the day of memory upgrades is gone so brand new machine yeah. welcome to the world yeah exactly and i and also i mean i i do i i am a big fan of apple's trade-in program i think it is a glorious thing um because it makes it, it makes it basically makes it that you are leasing, but without financial penalty. You know, you're basically having a machine every two years, however many years you want to do it, whatever it is. Um, but it doesn't. You don't just trash it. You send it back, and it's either refurbished as is, or carefully, you know, taken apart and the materials reused everywhere. So I, you know, it's it's my profession. So it is my tool. So nobody uh, nobody goes to. Obviously, you don't have to give us numbers, but but Apple gave you some money for your old laptop today. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Which they've done for a while. I guess yeah, like no, they've done that for a while, but it's, yeah. I mean, often a lot of us, you know, especially those of us with kids, laptops never end up going back. They just get handed down. Um, but, yeah, there, there comes a point, you know, if your machine is still actually a, a pretty good spec machine and they're giving you a decent amount of money, you just don't do that. You just take the money and, you know, have a new machine. Yep. So what and, else did you? Oh, sorry. Carry on. Yep. Well, so there's one other thing that that went much better this time. So prior machines, you know, transfers. I I basically I tried different things. Restored from Time Machine backup, and again, you know, some number of years ago, uh, our then manager, very wisely, I, I will give him this. Well, I give him lots of things, but but this is also particularly good. Is that he basically said that you know it makes no sense to skimp on specs because you know. As software engineers, you know, your time is valuable. So if, if it saves over even a month, you know, hours and hours of, of, of compile time because it's faster with each run, then it's absolutely worth it. But then the other thing is that machines will sometimes go bad. And uh, the ability to restore very quickly makes all the difference in the world. And I've had that happen to me a couple of times. And so he basically got us all these, you know, at that point unimaginably great, you know, two terabyte SSD, you know, mini drives that you could attach to and use that as your time machine backup um, because it's it's very fast and you can restore from it. And it's true. Basically, your machine goes goes down and you've got a deadline and, and hours count and and you really can't wait, you know, two days to, to get a machine configured. And it, you know very well that it takes a, quite a bit of time to set up a development environment, you know, and that's after you've already got the machine itself set up and, and all your passwords synced and all your services ready and so on and so, so forth. So the ability to restore from a backup makes all the difference in the world. Well, this time I had the fancy, fancy Thunderbolt cable. Uh, and it took me a little while at, at, at 2 o'clock in the morning to figure out exactly what the incantation was to be able to, to transfer data from my old machine to the new one uh, because I, I thought I was so smart. I'd just boot it, hold down the T key, and turn it into Thunderbolt 
uh, disk mode, but that doesn't exist anymore for for M1 or you know you know the the new generation of Macs. Um, and it's actually simpler, although the 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 whatever the prompt screens don't make it as easy as it probably should be if you had to ask the internet. Uh, but yes, you just launch the the migration assistant on your original machine, and you go and and share it, and then all of a sudden you connect it with a Thunderbolt cable. Uh, that's I don't know of anything faster. You know, basically that was the 899 megabits a second of transfer speed uh, compared to something like 44 if you're doing you know Ethernet over over Thunderbolt and and you know probably almost certainly less than that unless you have like an amazing Wi-Fi network. We thank you for calling Foxco. We appreciate your business. There is a long line of people waiting to record podcasts with Mr. Fox. Please hold and we'll get to you in the first available time slot. Hi, this is John. Hello. Hello. I lost you so I can pick up if you want. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, this is This is something that has been very strange on my not so shiny MacBook. That's the same as it is. That if uh, I actually took a step back without thinking, I'm wearing corded headphones, and the headphone jack pulled out of the machine. Um, but it seems that recently, every time I pull the headphone jack out of the machine, it decides to turn all the screens and everything off as well. <laughs> oh, how kind of it! So uh, I pulled the headphone jack out of the machine. Not because I was trying not to hear you, but because I was like, yeah, was, yeah, I was exactly why you did. then standing back in amazement at the things you were saying, and um, <laughs> and uh, uh, my machine just went black on me. So you were in the middle of telling stuff, um, you know, you know as far as you got. So why don't you pick that up? And and if Sam is doing his job properly, he'll make it all sound seamless and us sound professional. Um, <laughs> although I made that beyond so... beyond the wit of man. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of witty Sam. Uh, who is the 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 life of the party and the wit of all man um, kind? Uh, so anyway, uh, yeah. So it it's by the time I woke up this morning, everything had been transferred over, and it was just great. I mean, all I had to do was like sign in to to with my Apple ID and uh, also kind of reset some, you know, basically restore the password or or, or whatever, enter the passcode for for some of my RC RSA you know, SSH passwords and so on and so forth. Um, and my my SSH password, in case anyone cares, is I love Scotty until my last dying breath. It's a passphrase. Um, and, yeah, it was great. I mean, and then so I was able to to connect and build from clean in, in ungodly quick amounts of time uh, and uh, fired up everything and nothing broke a sweat. And it, it, the last thing I will say is that... I remember hearing many, many, many years ago that at, at in the world of, of Next Step, when when they were developing it for for Intel processors, you know, there was a time when you could get, you know, it, when when a Pentium machine spec'd out fully was was faster than traditional Next hardware, which itself at the time was super fast. Uh, but <laughs> the engineering manager said, no, we're going to give our developers slow machines because only out of the frustration of something being slow and resource constrained will they optimize, which there is something to, to be said about it because I will say that as, particularly in the last couple of weeks, I've, I've, I have you know, willingly and, and out of necessity really had tried to, to tune something 
uh, with message handling between two devices to make sure that that you know work is not done more than it absolutely has to. Uh, and that really helped a lot. And part of the reason why I had to do it is because I got tired of, of things kind of running out and, and, and seizing up, which they did. It was kind of a pathological environment, but but being forced to do that, then all of a sudden we're running on a fast environment where if things don't hitch, I'm like, oh my God, it's really fast. It's great. It's wonderful. This And, and, and I was glad that I've done it. So it is helpful to, 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 you know, keep one foot in the constrained world, even while you're enjoying working in the unconstrained world. Yeah, I don't, I don't agree with that. I think that's a bullshit, total bullshit, because basically developer tools on the whole, not all of them before we get in, you know, the, you know, the emails or the, the, the toots from the, you know, the Emacs web developers or whatever. Um, you know, on the whole, development tools have always been greedy, greedy applications. So even a minimum spec machine running a developer tool will run virtually anything else well, unless it's like, you know, the thing you're writing is CAD software or whatever else. But on the whole, if you're writing software with a developer tool, the developer tool is going to be more hungry. And so any machine that's capable of running that tool is, is probably going to run anything anyway so it does it's, mm. it's, it's just false and all you're doing is making your developers slow um about it i agree that you should test at least test in um uh a, you know a, a constrained environment but you know maybe that's a job for qa um or something like that to you know give qa well, so what i'm saying is give developers good machines give qa people shit machines <laughs> that's, that's, that is that, that is i guess the the, the highlight of what i've just said um but yeah it, it's and sometimes actually you want it both ways because uh, you know a lot of people these days buy very good hardware because you know it's it's they, they just do or you know um, and you know the people on the new phones and sometimes you know things that have been made to work on a slow machine then don't work on a fast machine very well <laughs> um it, it's rarer i know but it is it is possible because sometimes you know it's, it's amazing the amount of times without knowing it we create time time sensitive or time dependent you know workflow especially in an asynchronous environment and as soon as you put it on a different type of machine that you know, the message order might change because of certain ways of that particular processor hands thing off, things off or something, and things break. Um, so, yeah, so basically we should all have multiple machines, is now what I'm arguing, of all different types, styles, colors, and variations. And so I, I grant everybody, you know, permission to go out to buy any hardware they want, and Scotty's credit card number is 3707... It's Black Friday. Everybody knows that they do seven machines for one offers over in the States on your Black Friday deals. When you just go to, I don't know, Costco or Walmart or something and just buy everything. Well, Scotty, now you've let you've reminded me that just because Americans are getting ready to, to like, you know, go into food coma, the Brits aren't necessarily. So this is just a regular ass work week for you. What have you been doing? Well, not just the Brits, John. Everyone else in the world is not, I think, is the answer. It's only... Oh, that's uh, true. It's not just, even the Canadians. Not even the Canadians or the, you know, the South American peoples. It's just actually you know, North America or... You know, the portion of the North America we call the United States of America um, is on holiday tomorrow, I believe. So, um, yes, the rest of us are working as normal because we have nothing to be thankful for uh, other than maybe, I don't know. No, we won't go there. Um, so, <laughs> 
Uh, I have had a week, um, uh, or not full time, but I've been continuing to work with server side Swift, and I, as I spoke last week, in using Vapor, and I have to say, I it's it felt different to last time I tried Vapor, and, and uh, I wasn't couldn't really think why. And, not because it wasn't obvious, but because it's been a long time since I tried Vapor. And then I suddenly, it, it suddenly clicked. And I don't know why it took a while to click. So it should be obvious that, of course, Vapor now is all based on async await, whereas before it was all on having to do lots of mapping of stuff to create you know, workflows and um, completion handlers and everything. Whereas now everything is just an async await. And it is beautifully clean and beautifully easy and runs in Xcode for my uh, for my um, things. And so, yeah, I, I don't want to say much more on that other than I it has been a good uh, move. And basically today I'm looking at my first deployment options of test servers and whatever else and looking at different places to do it. And again, it doesn't seem to be too difficult. Don't forget that the servers I'm writing are very lightweight. You know, they're not going to have tens of thousands of users on them and they're not doing anything particularly complicated um, about it. So this is like about one of the easier deployments you could you could ever have. So um, yeah, but it, it's been fun and I like it. And so I, I withdraw everything I said two weeks ago or however long it was ago uh, about Vapor and give it a big thumbs up. Well, I'm very happy to know that. Um yeah, I remember when I, I went down a, a small rabbit hole looking at all the, the suggestions from our beloved uh, listener, um, and I, I'm embarrassed to say that I, I had not really heard the phrase protocol service before, um, which I thought was very nice, you know, and so, you know, you, you think about what is it that you need for any type of backing for any type of app, you know, and ideally you want just the, the fastest, simplest thing that you can possibly imagine. And for many people that, that could very well just be HTTP and, and the well-worn path of REST. But increasingly, you know, for, for, for lots of different reasons, WebSockets, which are quite similar or other very specific lightweight uh, services are, are very good as well. Um, did you, uh, I'm curious about kind of how, how you're, what you built, if you can tell a little bit about it and also where you think you're going to deploy it. Because I do also remember the, the grand days of, of Heroku. The first time I saw that as a service, like deploy to, you know, push your local thing to Git, and all of a sudden it's out there in the public world and you can use it and it seems like magic. So how are you dealing with that? Okay. So first of all, um, there are three parts to our service and this is partly because this is some of the things we use already for money well and so we're fitting in with it as opposed to starting from scratch so basically we're using for banking we're using a service called plaid um the moment, uh, which is one of these, you know, the days of you having to be able to connect to any bank and do it all like it are gone. Now you have to use a centralized banking service that do all the negotiations with the banks and you just negotiate with the central banking service, get your contract, get your agreements, agree what you're going to pay and use their API to talk to them and they talk to the banks on your behalf. Um, so, which, which is, it has pros and cons. It means you're basically, you have to take what the um, the central service offers you, but equally, you know, banks are notoriously uh, bad at you know sticking to standards and protocols, which you'd have thought they would have been quite good at, considering banking is like 
fairly detailed um you know uh trade but uh and so at least you get consistency and you can deal with everyone through one thing so the first thing you have to do is get someone to give your app uh it, it, it is through your app is give plaid permission to talk to their bank and then plaid gives you the stuff you need to talk to plaid to, to talk to their bank and that uh, really is goes goes through a web interface because it requires OAuth and all sorts of things like that. So our first little server just handles that from within uh, Moneywell. We'll launch out into a web browser and it will talk to our little server. And that's the reason that is separate is because that serves HTML, it serves JavaScript, it serves a whole bunch of stuff. It's going to interact you know, with a UI and um, so, so it's got two or three endpoints on all around this getting. Uh, thing. So the way the way Plaid works is because for security purposes, is um, you go to you, you fire up your web page or whatever else, and then you have to ask Plaid for a link token. Um, now a link token is something that you can then use to connect to a service they called Link. Link is the service they use to connect for you to, your user to give permission to banks. Um, but obviously, you don't necessarily. You, know, you don't want tokens of that can later on talk to banks flying around in the world. So the first thing you do is get a link token. You give that to the web client, uh, which uses a JavaScript library to connect to the Plaid link library. And it, it's it got the whole UI flow of signing up to all the banks and doing whatever else and do it. And at the end of that process, um, assuming that the, the user finishes it, uh, Plaid will give the user... Uh, what's called a public token. Now, that public token has a life of a few minutes, maybe 20 minutes, I'm not sure. It, it's it's a short-lived token. And so the idea is then is that your um, interface gives that public token back to you into your secure back-end service. And then you teach to Plaid and say, look, my users just give me this public token. Plaid then gives you back an access token in return, providing your public token hasn't expired, which you then as an app store securely, store safely. That's what you're going to use to talk to Plaid from now on. But that's never been out anywhere in your browser. That's never been out anywhere. You know, that's just in your domain and you never give that to your users. So that's how you keep it secure. Um, and then from now on, you talk to Plaid using um, calls and, and, and whatever else. So, so basically, um, we have... Uh, a second server that we developed, and that does all of the talking to Plaid. So we've kept anything that talks to Plaid separate from the UI stuff, uh, anything that makes we have to, and that's on a separate uh, uh, Swift Vapor service server. Um, we don't publicize the URL for that or anything. We might even firewall it or whatever, because um, only our stuff will speak to that. And then we're storing the data that we're keeping in PARS, mainly because we've had this conversation before. PARS is something we've been using for coordination in data, and we don't want to run another database or another backend. We're sticking it in what we have. PARS provides all the accounts system and the security and all that sort of stuff. So that's basically where it is. So we'll be having two two small servers, one that delivers UI and with JavaScript to Plaid, and one that does all the conversations to Plaid between um, Plaid and our application. Um, and that's the way it works. So Moneywell will internally talk to the our Plaid server, which talks to Plaid, to, to get stuff out of it. And, and 
doesn't need to care. So as for deployment at the moment, um, yeah, uh, in fact, for just for testing purposes right now, I'm using Heroku because it's incredibly simple to deploy on Heroku still. Um, you just need to make sure you set up the right build pack and you say Vapor has a... A Git repository with a build pack for um, Heroku. So you just basically configure um, your Heroku app to say I'm a Vapor app, and then you push the uh, the the Git um, branch, and it builds, it compiles the Swift, and it starts running. Um, you just set up all the environment variables on the web interface to Heroku, and it all works. Uh, reality is, you know, we are. Yeah, this this isn't going to be, you know, a massively used, you know, by, by web standards, this is not going to be a heavy thing. So we it may turn out, we just leave it there, to be honest, um, uh, because if it works um, and we're just running one dyno at, you know, 20 bucks a month or whatever for each server or two dynos, whatever, might as well just leave it there and, and let it get on with it. So uh, it seems to work pretty well. Um yeah, so that's that's where we're at. Yeah, you've got all the normal issues of debugging uh, everything back in, but of course, because it's all Swift and whatever else, basically Moneywell is running in Xcode, the Plaid server is running in Xcode, the the link our link server is running in Xcode. I can set a breakpoint at any point. I can watch all the logs. I can follow all through end-to-end in Xcode, all in one go. Um, I do use... Visual Studio Code for editing JavaScript just because Xcode doesn't edit JavaScript very well. <laughs> um, but again, I mean, there's maybe 90 lines of JavaScript in this, so it's not like <laughs> working on JavaScript all day. So, yeah, it's, it's been pretty cool. So uh, from the debugging point of view, that's good. And everything used, everything now is... Um, Based on codable, so the parameters you pass to, uh, you know, in, in in Vapor, you just look at your parameters coming in, and you just decode them to a struct, and then you put every your, your response in a struct and just encode it back out again. And it's everything is just very Swift-like um, and very very lovely. Very Swift-like and lovely. I have one last question. So, the actual you're using the open source implementation of Parse, and that and that's just part of of what you deploy to Heroku, or is or is because there's Parse doesn't exist anymore as as a service, does it? Uh, no, no. Um, we go through a company called Back for App, who provide ah. Parse as a service. So they look after Parse, they run it, they keep it updated. There is still a fairly vibrant open source. Basically, Parse was Facebook, wasn't it? And um, yeah. they basically Facebook dropped it, but they left it in the open source. And there is a reasonably um, active community um, of people who still look after it, maintain it, put new versions out. And a company called Back for App provide Parse as a back-end service that we, we pay for. I, I, don't know, I don't know what it is. It's X number of bucks per month um but again the nice thing about parse is for us um is it's got a a, um, a swift sdk and so effectively it almost works like remote objects um you do a parse query and you get a bunch of structs in your app that you can work with and you can change them and then save them and it all ends up back at the server so we're not having to deal with rest api all the time we don't use parse for much we use it to um because we don't release nobody's financial data is in anything other than core data on their machine or 
in their own iCloud. So we don't we use it to coordinate things more than right. you know, than, than do things. We use it to provide us with an account system for the banking. We use it to provide you know. We have um, a system by where you can have scheduled transactions and they they produce, they run. Now, what happens is if you're not careful, you know, if you fire up a copy of the app on a, you know, another machine, especially if it's not been done for a while, you don't want things like scheduled transactions to, to generate themselves uh, if they've already generated on another machine, but that machine just hasn't synced yet. Um, so what we tend to do is we keep a log of sort of identifiers and codes and paths of which scheduled transactions have last synced on what date. And so our scheduled transaction um, thing uses that data to to coordinate whether it needs to generate scheduled transactions on, on this particular local machine. But that's just a bunch of identifiers saying, uh, you know, scheduled transactions 75342 was last done on this date, up to this date or whatever. There's no financial information in that or anything. Um, yeah, so we use it for that. We'll use PARS for, for sort of like storing um, checkpoints for when you ask for people's banking transactions, you get back a checkpoint to what you've got up to. So next time we ask, we can get the checkpoint from PARS. But, yeah, it's only the checkpoint code we're getting, no, no, nothing else to do in there. And it's just stuff like that we use. And it, and it works pretty well. Uh yeah, uh, it has a reasonable level of security for what we're doing on there, and yeah, we quite like it really. That that is that 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 is very happy to hear. And speaking of checkpoints, it might could be our checkpoint uh, to 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 bring this show home. What do you say, Scotty? I say, John, you have no. You don't have turkey to eat because you're not doing turkey. You just said you have duck to prepare. Um, I'm sure it takes 24 hours to prepare duck. So, <laughs> John, before you duck out of this podcast recording <laughs> to go prepare your duck, um, how, how, why don't you tell people how they can uh, um, send you messages about ducks? Uh, well, you I really lost your the plot there. Yeah, you did. <laughs> when, 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 just because Scotty can't get his ducks in a row doesn't mean that y'all can't. So you can find me on uh, uh you know on the internet uh, where i'm jembe g-j-e-m-b-e like the west african drum at mastodon.social you can also find me on threads if y'all are there i see more people all the time um where i'm just john fox and scotty if people want to you know find the ducks put them in a row and then send them to your front door where barky the failure dog has seems to have been mysteriously quiet leading leading us to wonder if if something bad has happened to to, to barky where might they yes. do that where there will be a you know who who stole barky campaign very soon uh, <laughs> john i am also on the interwebs uh mainly on mastodon where i am scotty at developer.social so I wish you a happy holiday, John. I wish uh, everyone in the US who's celebrating the holidays a happy holiday. Anyone who's not in the US who wishes to celebrate the holiday, you have my permission. Take a couple of days off. Just enjoy. Tell your boss that I said it was fine. Um, (laughs) And there we are. It will be great. And for those of you who are working for the next few days, don't forget you are the productive ones in the world. You are the ones who understand the need for a global economy. (laughs) So... With that said, or oh, of course, you might not be that productive if you're listening to this, I guess, <laughs> because 
you've got to really have reached the end of things you don't want to do if this comes onto the list of things I'm going to do next. Uh, oh, there's Barky. Don't know if you heard him. Can oh, he just put in, put in a thing? He is still alive. <laughs> there we are. Right, so happy holidays, everyone, and uh, thanks for listening, and until next time... You take care. Thank you.